Welcome to the Bardcast. It's Shakespeare, you dick. We are your hosts. I am Lisa Ann Goldsmith. And I am Owen Thompson. And today's episode, number 21, is invented by Shakespeare. Now, I bet you guys had no idea that there were words and phrases that you use literally every single day that came from Shakespeare. That's right. There's there's so many of them, in fact, that this episode is not by any stretch of the imagination meant to be comprehensive, or we, we would be here for about five hours or more. S- seriously, seriously. Um, so we would like to start with phrases that are used every day that come from Shakespeare. And the first one I'd like to talk about is good riddance. Now, of course, <laughs> good riddance means to happily get rid of anything that you deem worthless, but it originated in Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida. Thersites says, I will see you hanged like clot poles ere I come any more to your tents. I will keep where there is wit stirring and leave the faction of fools. And then he leaves and Patroclus says, a good riddance so as a matter of fact this idiom is so durable you know owen it's the name of a popular green day song from 1990 <laughs> that's right where would green day be without shakespeare that's right um although it isn't the first usage of riddance uh he also had portia wish the prince of morocco a gentle riddance in right but but it but it's the first usage of the term good riddance absolutely right like thank god that asshole is gone that's right, which is exactly what he means when he leaves. Exactly. <laughs> um, so the next one is break the ice. Yes. So break the ice. It's this is a, it's this is an interesting one because it's one of the very few Shakespearean phrases to become everyday idioms that did not begin as something literal. Of course, like we think of a fisherman having to break the ice in a river to gain access to the fish or an icebreaker vessel cutting through the ice to create a pathway. That's how a lot of idioms get started. Um, But it was obviously those things didn't happen until much, much later. But break the ice began life as a metaphor. Of course, it means to do some small thing that will dispel awkwardness, like chit chat before you're talking about something important. Right, like to overcome some kind of socially awkward situation. Right. Like, you know, offering somebody a drink before you really start talking about the serious stuff. Anything that eases people into relating or acting in a situation they're encountering for the first time. A warm up. Right. Right. So Break the Ice as a metaphor made its first appearance in Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. Uh, Shakespeare used it as a term for a social gesture when Tranio, in talking about the problem of wooing the ice-cold Catherine, says, If it be so, sir, then you are the man must stead us all and me amongst the rest. And if you break the ice and do this feat, achieve the elder, set the younger free for our access, whose hap shall be to have her will not so graceless be to be ingrate. So what Tranio was doing, he's talking to Petruchio, of course, and he's suggesting approaching Catherine by getting to know her father first, which will break the ice. But of course, he's Shakespeare, right? So he he never has just one meaning. He's also talking about cracking the ice cold demeanor of the feisty Catherine. Because she a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about her before. It's a problematic play. What can I tell you? It is. Um, The next one we want to talk about is Wild Goose Chase. So this was first seen in Romeo and Juliet. Um, A person that goes on a wild goose chase is searching for something that is likely not attainable. Now, Shakespeare uses it in this way. He has Mercutio say, nay, if they wits run the wild goose chase, I have done. For thou hast more of the wild goose in one of thy wits than I am sure I have in my whole five. Was I with you there for the goose? 
So basically, Mercutio is saying that he can't keep up with Romeo's jokes and puns. And Romeo tells him to continue, but Mercutio sees the endeavor as a wild goose chase. Although a wild goose chase was reportedly a real game back in 16th century England, in which a horseman executed a series of difficult maneuvers. And you actually have that quote, don't you, Owen? Yes, yes, I do. It's a hunt. It's a hunting term. And so Shakespeare popularized this rather than actually out and out invented it. Uh, it actually comes from a, an equestrian instructional manual called a discourse on of horsemanship from 1593. Interestingly, we're pretty sure that Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet in 1594. So I'm pretty sure he actually read this little piece by Gervais Markham. Uh, it describes the rules of the, the race at length, the essential point being that horses follow together like geese in flight. And here's the quote. The wild goose chase being started, hold a hard hand of your horse and make him gallop softly at great ease, insomuch that perceiving your adversary strive to take the leading from you, suffer him to come so near you that his horse's head may well nigh touch your horse's buttock. <laughs> we're like five you guys <laughs> for that horse lets another overrun him 20 score at the first in a wild goose chase it is pity he should ever be a hunter that's the quote that sounds like that's like trying to put something together from ikea <laughs> i i would much rather read romeo and juliet than a discourse of horsemanship even if it does have the word buttock in it yeah, yeah i'm with you <laughs> The next one we want to talk about is the green-eyed monster used by Shakespeare and modern day uh, as an idiomatic expression for the noun jealousy. Iago says to Othello, oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Now, here's something interesting. Merriam-Webster actually talks about that um, Shakespeare might have been evoking cats also in this phrase. Huh given that they are, quote, green-eyed creatures who toy with their prey before killing it. Interesting. Right? Well, he, and here's another phrase from that same play that we, uh, I'll bet you use this pretty much every day. Uh, well, maybe not every day, but a foregone conclusion. That's a very common phrase. It also comes from Othello, right? So in that play, obviously, Iago is kind of fucking with Othello all the way through. And at one point, he tells Othello that Cassio has been talking in his sleep about making love to Desdemona. And Othello says, uh, soon says it's a foregone conclusion that Desdemona has committed adultery with him. This is how the, uh, how the exchange goes. Uh, Othello says, oh, monstrous, monstrous. Iago says, nay, this was but a dream. Othello says, but this denoted a foregone conclusion. Uh, and when he talks about a foregone conclusion of being Shakespeare, that conclusion has a double meaning. Of course. Um, ob obviously, it means what, the, what we know it means on the surface, but it also refers to an orgasm. It refers to the climax of lovemaking in the actual sex act. Now, there's no suggestion of that in the modern use of the, of the word, of the term, however. No, no. It just means uh, green-eyed jealousy, crazy bitches and crazy men and all that. Right. Um, so the next one is that uh, all that glitters is not gold. That's a really popular um, modern phrase. It's but from Merchant of Venice, right? It is from Merchant of Venice. But interestingly enough, uh, the original phrase is all that glisters is not gold. And it's the Prince of Morocco reading the little note that is on one of the casks that he has chosen to try to win Portia. 
Um, it says, All that glisters is not gold. Often have you heard that told. Many a man his life hath sold, but my outside to behold, gilded tombs do worms enfold. So, meaning he picked the wrong cask and now he's got to leave. So, right. yeah. Um, such stuff as dreams are made on. Although we changed that today to say stuff that dreams are made of. Um, refers to having some sort of fantasy life or something that we could only dream of having. But it comes from The Tempest, Act 4, Scene 1. And uh, the phrase is, we are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Prospero says that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful sentiment, but almost immediately thereafter, he gets super mad and has to go deal with Caliban. Well, you know, shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here, so here's a. I, I bet you guys use the term fair play a lot, right? Oh my god, I'm sure. But you didn't know that it came from Shakespeare, however. Shakespeare! Uh, Shakespeare. It's a little tiny phrase, and he was pretty fond of it because he used it three times in the plays. Now, of course, when we're using the phrase today, uh, it's in the context of human behavior, the fair and honest treatment of people, or in sport, right? Like fair play in accordance with the rules. You're not cheating or having an unfair advantage, right? Um, it actually comes from the... Fair comes from the Old Norse for beautiful, and also old Gothic, fitting or fitting or beautiful, and play derives from the old English plagian, which means to move rapidly or to occupy or busy oneself or exercise. So fair play, two little words that have mean a lot of things, and Shakespeare exploits that flex flexibility. Um, so here's a couple of usages. Maybe the most famous is also from The Tempest. Yeah. Uh, Miranda, Miranda and Ferdinand are playing chess, and Miranda says, sweet lord, you play me false. Ferdinand says, no, my dearest love, I would not for the world. And Miranda says, yes, for a score of kingdoms, you should wrangle. And I would call it fair play. They're uh, in love. Also, they're in love. In King John, uh, Philip the Bastard is talking with the King of France. And he says, according to the fair play of the world, let me have audience. I am sent to speak, my holy Lord of Milan, from the king I come to learn how you have dealt for him. Uh, so this is, uh, this is different from meaning fair play in the sense that we use it. It means offering uh, an elegant bloodless peace rather than actual war. Uh, Shakespeare's always finding new ways to make these make, make words mean different things. And finally, in Troilus and Cressida, we have this exchange between Troilus and Hector, who are brothers. Troilus says, brother, you have a very nice, you have a vice of mercy in you, which better fits a lion than a man. Hector says, what vice is that good, Troilus? Chide me for it. Troilus says, when many times the captive Grecian falls, even in the fan and wind of your fair sword, you bid them rise and live. And Hector says, oh, tis fair play. And that means exactly what we mean today. He means he's not going to cheat. That's right. That's right. Um, here's a good one. Too much of a good thing. I mean, uh. seriously, how many times do you hear this, right? This is from As You Like It. Now, originally, the phrase may have been a proverb dating back to the late 15th century, but Shakespeare was the one who immortalized it in print. So in As You Like It, Rosalind is pretending to be a man named Ganymede. Um, while she is with Orlando, who with whom she's in love. Now, he is also in love with her and doesn't know that she's Ganymede, but she has him practice how he would woo her as Rosalind while she's playing Ganymede. So she says... Are, are you following that? It's a little <laughs> crazy. But so um, 
she suggests that they have a pretend wedding so he can know how to behave himself once he actually marries Rosalind. So she says to Celia, she says, why then can one desire too much of a good thing? Come, sister, you shall be the priest and marry us. Give me your hand, Orlando. What do you say, sister? So that's really fun. That's sweet. Yeah, you know, and it means basically too much good might backfire and be bad. Right. Um, wear one's heart on one's sleeve. Uh, Othello once again. Yes. And, you know, it means to be a hopeless romantic or to be open and honest about how you feel. And Iago says, for when my outward action doth demonstrate the native act and figure of my heart in compliment extern, tis not long after, but I will wear my heart upon my sleeve for Dawes to peck at. I am not what I am. So Devious Iago basically says that if his outward appearance reflected what he was thinking, then his heart would be on his sleeve for birds to peck out, which is not a good thing in his eyes. So he adds that he isn't actually what he appears to be. I mean, you know, his motives are never good. Um, so it's interesting that he's the character that immortalized this phrase, don't you think? Well, I mean, it, he immortalizes a lot of phrases and, and some of his advice is, I mean, he's the one that says, put money in thy purse. Yeah. He's the one that says, who steals my purse steals trash, you know, I mean, which is other famous phrases, obviously. And, and, and his advice seems good until you realize who's giving it. Yeah. Well, it is good advice. It's just not a good advice. Good advice coming from him. Exactly. <laughs> um devil incarnate i love oh, this that's a one. good one yeah this of course describes somebody that is evil and scheming you know that is like a reincarnation of the devil um and the first usage is um in titus andronicus and uh lucius calls aaron the more the devil incarnate uh, after all the suffering that he has caused his family, uh, chief among them, of course, convincing Demetrius and Chiron to rape Lavinia and then framing Marius and Quintus for the murder of Bassianus. You guys, guys, you know, we, we have know. talked about this play way too much, but we're kind of, you know, it's 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 like a train wreck. You can't look away. <laughs> <laughs> but so the quote is, Lucius says, a worthy goth, this is the incarnate devil that robbed Andronicus of his good hand. Uh, and then it's also used in Henry V, where the boy says, yes, that it did, and said they were devils incarnate. Uh, so heart of gold. There's heart one we gold, use a lot. Yes. And everybody knows what heart of gold means. It, it, it means that you're, you're good hearted. And all it, it sometimes means, though, it's almost like a backhanded compliment because it usually follows it, a, a but, right? Like he may be a scumbag asshole jerk off, but he has a heart of gold. Right. It's kind of like it's kind of like a bless your heart. Right. It is a little bless your hearty. Yeah. So it actually comes from Henry V. Right. And on, in that play, on the eve of the Battle of Agincourt, uh, King Henry disguises himself as an ordinary soldier and wanders around under the, under the cover of dark to chat with the soldiers and find out what their morale is like. And when he asks Pistol if he considers himself a better man than the king, Pistol says, the king's a ballcock and a heart of gold, a lad of life and imp of fame. So, uh, you know, he likes the king. Yeah, absolutely. He has a um, heart of gold, but that's where it comes from. Here's a fun one, vanish into thin air. Now that has two usages. The first one is the clown in Othello. Once again, he says, then put up your pipes in your bag for all away. Go, vanish into air, away, which basically means, you know, he's telling him to disappear without a trace. But here's the interesting thing, right? Like 
anytime or not i shouldn't say that but often when somebody does a production of othello they cut the clown because he's not funny and those scenes are really terrible <laughs> please and the play is endlessly long it is uh, but there's another usage in the tempest act four scene one and prospero says our revels now are ended these our actors as i foretold you were all spirits and are melted into air into thin air but here's something else interesting owen i found out that some uh critics have suggested that there's a darker underlying meaning in the othello usage um because they say act three in Othello is the final act that suggests that all of it might have a happy ending because the play gets pretty dark starting in act four. So mm -hmm. they say the clown might symbolically be asking the musicians and all happy things to vanish into thin air because there's no room left for them in the play. Huh. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Who knew? Who could you, could you die from this? Who I knew? could die. I could just die. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's one. It's a word, but it's we use it so much, and that's puking. Yeah, this one's contested, though, right? Some people don't think Shakespeare invented this word. Well, it's contested because it's likely an English imitation of the German word spruken, which means to spit. Can, can you say that again? Spruken? <laughs> <laughs> I just like hearing you say it. <laughs> so, of course, it means to vomit. And in the very famous... All the world's a stage speech. Jacques says they have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. Hey, listen, all the world's a stage is a pretty famous phrase that comes from Shakespeare. Right? No kidding. Let's see what else is there. Well, there's outrageous fortune. Oh. Yes, so there is. Outrage, which, of course, comes from Hamlet's famous to be or not to be soliloquy, which has any number of famous and well-known phrases in it. But that, that's obviously a very, very famous one is outrageous fortune. Now, of course, when something bad happens to us or something unexpected and unwelcome, we sometimes refer to that as outrageous fortune. Right. right. And that's a, that's what Hamlet means. Right. Um, we should actually it should be linked to another phrase that's pretty familiar, the slings and arrows. Right. It's the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, which if you guys have never watched it is a really great Canadian series about a theater company. Yeah. Slings and arrows is a great uh, uh, Canadian series and outrageous fortune is a great New Zealand TV series. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you see these these phrases get used a lot. Right. So Hamlet's talking about the bad things that happen to us in everyday life as being person like as, as if fortune is personified, firing at us with deadly weapons, right? And it's when he's contemplating suicide. And so he says the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Um, so this is a linguistic construct. It's typical of Shakespeare, taking an abstract idea and making it concrete with visual images. Uh, and there's all like here are some other phrases from that same speech from to be or not to be nobler in the mind. Right. A sea of troubles, right? Perchance to dream what dreams may come, shuffle off this mortal coil. They all come from the same soliloquy. That's amazing. Here's another one from Hamlet. There's a method to my madness, right? Now, mm -hmm. in Shakespeare, uh, Polonius says it in Hamlet. He says, "Though this be madness, yet there is method in it." Will you walk out of the air, my lord? And, you know, he's basically suggesting that there is a reason behind apparent chaos. And the meaning is the same nowadays, although the language has been a bit updated into modern terms. And it is also a BG song. <laughs> well, there you go. 
that's high praise that is high praise um how about all of a sudden oh yeah that's a phrase from shakespeare comes from taming of the shrew tranio says i praise her tell me is it possible that love should of a sudden take such hold now you know i i think that clearly shakespeare thought that that was a more poetic way of saying suddenly um but you know he wasn't the first one to use the word sudden that was john greenwood in 1590 yeah. yeah, a lot of the times he he takes other people's words and changes them somewhat or uses them in a different context. That's right. Have we talked about one fell swoop? I don't think we have. Right. So one fell swoop means right in one big sudden act. And that comes from Macbeth. Macduff says when he has been told that his wife and his kids and all the servants in his house and pretty much everybody was executed. He says, all my pretty ones. Did you say all? Oh, Hellkite all what my all my pretty chickens and their dam at one fell swoop it's kind of it's kind of sad it's well it's really sad but i mean one fell swoop we use it all the time and i can't believe that i'm saying words from that play you know for anybody who's listened you know that my superstition is back but Uh... i'm going to talk a little bit (laughs) i'm going to talk a little bit about the word assassination which appears for the very first time in this same play. Now, the word assassin already existed, and it's it's an interesting uh, derivation in and of itself. It's often believed to to derive from the Arabic word hashashin, uh, which has the same root word as hashish. Uh, It refers to a group of Nizari Ismailis known as the assassins who worked against various political targets uh, in the Middle East. The assassins were active in the fortress of Alamut in Persia from the 8th to the 14th century and later expanded into a de facto state by acquiring or building many scattered strongholds. So the word assassin as a noun was already in vogue. The word assassinate Uh, had been used in uh, Matthew Sutcliffe's A Brief Reply to Certain Odious and Slanderous Libels, lately published by a seditious Jesuit. That was a pamphlet in 1600. (laughs) So it had already been made into a verb, but Shakespeare again made it into a noun when he wrote the Scottish play by taking assassinate and making it into assassination. It's the first time anybody ever used that particular form of assassin. That's so interesting. So I didn't know that it came from something meaning hashish. So could I say that, man, I've been assassinated by the <laughs> dopeness of that hashish? You you know what? Yes, I give you permission. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another one from Macbeth. I'll bet you guys never knew that the knock-knock joke came from Shakespeare. That's right. That's right. The porter in Shakespeare says, here's a knocking indeed. If a man were porter of Hellgate, he should have old turning the key. And then he hears knocking. And he says, knock, knock. Who's there in the name of Beelzebub? So that is a phrase that came from Shakespeare. Those lame jokes that we all tell these days. Yeah. So you can you can blame Will for that one. <laughs> yeah. Some, listen, we're, some of the time he deserves blame. That's true. What about um, it's Greek to me from Julius Caesar? That's right. Casca says, but for my own part, it was Greek to me, meaning you have no idea what this subject is about or what the person's talking about. Right. In that case, in the play, he's actually quoting. He's talking about somebody who was speaking in Greek. Yes. <laughs> and what, and what, what he means is I don't fucking speak Greek. Greek. Do you? That's right. That's right. Uh, what about eating me out of house and home? I love that. 
Mm-hmm. That's from, from Henry Four, Part Two, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Henry the Fourth, Part Two, and Mistress quickly says, "It is more than for some, my lord. It is for all, as I have. He hath eaten me out of house and home. He hath put all my substance into that fat belly of his. But I will have some of it out again, or I will ride the nights like the mare." Who should? Who could she possibly be talking about? Falstaff. Of course. That's right. Oh my God! There's so many of these. Owen. There's I don't so even there's know so many. Which ones it, to talk about? Well, oh. how about Love Is Blind? Go That's right a really ahead. famous yes. one. You go ahead. Take it away. All right. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought you had it. I have like ninety of these. All right, Love Is Blind. That comes from Merchant of Venice. Um, now Shakespeare created this phrase that was often said as a warning. Uh, it means that some someone's feelings for their loved ones can obscure reality, right? And Jessica says, I am much ashamed of my exchange, but love is blind and lovers cannot see the pretty follies that themselves commit. Now, technically, he wasn't the one that first wrote the phrase. That is correct, because, again, he popularized the phrase rather than out and out inventing it. This actually comes from the Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer, some hundreds of years before, in 1405, actually, so a couple hundred years before Shakespeare was writing. Uh, it's from the Merchant's Tale. The quote is, for love is blind all day and may not see. Uh, Shakespeare used Chaucer as a source more than once. In fact, Troilus and Cressida is taken from Chaucer's epic poem, Troilus and Crusade. That's right. Oh, here's another famous one from Hamlet. The lady doth protest too much. Mm -hmm. Right? So we, in modern day, we mean if somebody denies something more than once, you can say the lady doth protest too much, meaning that you think that they're full of crap. And Gertrude says, (laughs) the lady protests too much, methinks. We talk, we've talked so much. I mean, we seriously, guys, there are so many of these phrases. Should I talk a little bit about like how they came to like what Shakespeare was up to, why he had to do this and how yes. he did it? Yes, I would love okay. that. Well, first of all, um, if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, which if, if you don't know is like this insanely thorough dictionary that's been compiled over many hundreds of years, uh, they attribute no fewer than 1700 words to Shakespeare as having having invented 1700 you guys but but it's a little misleading because you know we've talked about how Shakespeare used other people's work and reinvented things or popularized things change the grammatical structure them a little bit so 1700 is a little much he didn't actually out and out invent 1700 words however his record is pretty good because uh the best research has has figured out that he in out and out invented or coined or minted or whatever you want to say, no fewer than 422 words. 422 words this guy invented. That's right. Um, So like some of the, like the 1700 ones, like he may have just written them down for the first time. So we have them for the first time in, in print, but the 422 are, it's pretty good. Now, how did he invent these words? Uh, You know, some people just make up words right? That's not usually how Shakespeare worked. Like Lewis Carroll, if you're familiar with Jabberwocky, Right. right. Lewis Carroll in Alice in Wonderland. Actually, that's in Alice through the Looking Glass. Or, or writes, Dr. Seuss, Theodore. Or Dr. Seuss. Like something like Twas Brillig and the Slithy Toves, Did yeah. Gyre and Gimble in the Wave, All Mimsy were the Borogoves and the Momraths out Grabe. Those are just non, they're actually called, there's a, there's a technical term for it called nonce words. Right. 
And sometimes they nonsense. actually, right. They come in, sometimes they come into usage, like in that same poem, the word galumph and the word chortle both come from Lewis Carroll. They became words, but when Carroll used them, they were just completely made up. Shakespeare usually doesn't work that way. When he invented words, he usually did it by working with existing words and altering them in new ways. Uh, in the, the ways that he usually did this were either by conjoining two words, changing verbs into adjectives, changing nouns into verbs, adding prefixes to words, or adding suffixes to words. Um, there's a quote from an old huge book called The Shakespeare Key by Charles and Mary Cowden. This is how they put it. Shakespeare with the right and might of a true poet and his peculiar royal privilege as king of all poets has minted several words that deserve to become current in our language. He coined them for his own special use to express his own special meanings in his own special passages. But they are so expressive and so well-framed to be exponents of certain particulars and meanings common to us all that they deserve to become generally adopted and used. And of course, that's what, ha that's what happened. Now, it's hard for us sometimes to fully grasp the nuance and meaning of Shakespeare's language because we're coming to it from a modern perspective, but his contemporary audience would have had a much easier time to figure out what he was reading. Now, why? There's two main reasons. First of all, Shakespeare was part of a movement in English literature that introduced more prose into plays. Earlier plays were written primarily in rhyming verse. And if you look at Shakespeare's chronology, he abandons rhyming verse for blank verse over time, and he adds more and more prose into his plays. So this made it a little easier for people in his audience to understand what was going on. In addition, the words that he created were comprehensible intuitively because they were often built on the foundation of existing words. Um, see, take, for instance, the word congreted, which he invented. The prefix con means with and greet means to receive or acknowledge someone. Therefore, it's if you understand that, it isn't a stretch for people to understand this line. That face to face and royal eye to eye, you have congreted. See, he's, he's made, he also made nouns into verbs. He was actually the first person to use friend as a verb, which right. predates Mark Zuckerberg by like 400 years. And like it's actually a thousand in Hamlet, points in IQ. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the line. And what so poor a man as Hamlet is may do so to express his love and friending to you. He'll also take uh, words from other languages and turn them into English words like fracted and corroborate mm -hmm. are both from Latin. He used that in Henry V. Um, and of course, we're still making new words today, right? I mean, microaggression, mumblecore, safe space. These weren't words, well, safe and space, but not together. I mean, what, right. that, that only started, right? So inventing words isn't something that Shakespeare made up. He was just really good at it. And one of the reasons why he uh, had to make up words is that you have to realize that the English language was actually much smaller um, than it was is today. The vocabulary of English was probably 50 to 60,000 words uh, less rich than it is now. Um, that's how the Encyclopedia Americana thinks anyway. So uh, Shakespeare, if he wanted to, to have full expression, needed to make up some of these words. And he did make up 422 of them. Here's just a couple of words that he actually invented. Barefaced, baseless, buzzer, critical and critic, defeat, lonely, fashionable, 
flowery, freezing, generous, homely, lackluster. I mean, it goes on and on and on. There's 422 of them, words that we would not have if it weren't for Shakespeare. Right. And things that you would never think about, like pale-faced, puppy dog, raw-boned, revolting. Obscene. Schoolboy. Self-abuse. That's pretty common these days. Reinforcement. Right. Ill-tempered, green-eyed, gray-eyed. Satisfying. Glow. Savage. Employer employment. Engagement. I mean, my God. Downstairs. It's crazy. Upstairs. (laughs) Transcendence. (laughs) That's right. Bloodstained. Helping. Blood-sucking. Blackface. Birthplace. Cat-like me. Cold-blooded, cold-hearted. Control. Well, I mean, my God. I mean, it, it, it couldn't. Well, how about names? We haven't even talked about the names that Shakespeare invented. That's right, people. Shakespeare invented names. Now, and by the way, a lot of these names are current favorites among people naming babies in 2021. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, now, this one, people kind of say that Shakespeare did what we were talking about, whereas he took something that was existing and switched it a little. And that's Olivia. And my cat is named Olivia, by the way. Um, But Olivia ranked number two female baby name in 2016 and has been in the top 10 for the last 15 years. Um, But Olivia is believed to be related to Oliver, which existed Mm -hmm. before, and Oliva, which was also existing before. Right. That's Shakespeare making something new out of something old. That's right. But however, he out and out invented the name Jessica. That's right. He sure did. Which does not appear before the uh, the, the Merchant of Venice. Uh, and it's actually dropping in popularity. It, it ranked in the one or two spot from in 1981 to 1997. But it's now dropped all the way to 233 for some reason. Um, but it, And it's believed that Shakespeare may have been inspired by the Hebrew name Iska, mm-hmm. meaning to behold. But there is no mention of the word of the name Jessica before Shakespeare's invention. No. Well, what about Miranda? Miranda, too. Right. Miranda shot up in the popularity charts in the early 70s and reached a peak in the 90s on the heels of Amanda. Not that that has anything to do with it, but um, it remains an appealing Shakespearean option. And he invented it for the female lead in The Tempest. And it comes from the Latin Mirandus, meaning wonderful. So again, he takes a Latin word and turns it into an, in in this case, not an English word, but a name. So if you are named Miranda, Olivia, or Jessica, you can thank Dabod. Now, (laughs) not, (laughs) not every name, not every name that he invented really caught on. Like Perdita? Perdita. (laughs) Not a lot of people named Perdita out there. Um, That's from The Winter's Tale. Didn't really catch on. She's the daughter of King Leontes and he goes nuts and thinks his wife has cheated on him and that she that his daughter is illegitimate. So he has her exposed like he wants her killed, basically. So she's lost. Right. And Perdita does come from the Latin meaning lost. And of course, she is is ultimately found. But this name did not catch on. No, no. Well, um, you know. Othello was a name that he invented, but uh, Otho was an existing Roman name. And hey, isn't Otho, I just thought of this, isn't Otho the name of that character in Beetlejuice? The guy that comes to the house, the designer? It is that right? Otho, yes. <laughs> Good for you. 
Um, but yes, Otho was an existing Roman name in use long before Shakespeare's time. Um, yeah, but Othello, is, Othello has not caught on for obvious reasons. No, no. Uh, he, another name that Shakespeare invented is Florizel. Another name from the Wintersdale that did not really catch on. Florizel is Perdita's boyfriend. Yeah. Um, the only, the only, ex <laughs> the only existence that I can find of anybody named Florizel. It's a great name. I wish this were my name. No kidding. The former Governor General of Jamaica <laughs> was a man named Sir Florizel Glasspole. I love that. It sounds a little like asshole, which is probably why I like it. <laughs> well, it comes from most likely from the Latin "flor," meaning flower. Flower, of yeah. course. Yeah, Florizel is pretty odd, but it, it's just, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't really have um, a, that certain je ne sais quoi. Right. Can you imagine? These are my parents, Florizel and Perdita. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. <laughs> How uh, about Imogen? Well, Imogen actually came about as a mistake because the name Inogen existed, uh, but it was somehow printed Imogen in Shakespeare's Cymbeline, and that stuck. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it, it, Imogen, Shakespeare didn't invent, it's kind of a type, it's a typo. <laughs> right, that's right. From I-N-N-O-G-E-N, -N which was the actual name, to I-M-O-G-E-N. You can see how I can that see. Like. I can see how those yeah. two N's together could look like an M to somebody. Totally, totally, totally. Um, there are many British Imogens, including Imogen Sheeran, mother of Ed Sheeran, uh, the gymnast Imogen Carnes, and political commentator Imogen Lloyd Webber, who is the daughter of Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Very fancy. That's yeah, it's much more. It's it's not popular anywhere, but certainly more popular in the UK than here in America. Well, it sounds totally British, doesn't it? It does. You know, you're not going to find somebody in like Queens going, yeah, my name is Imogen Castriani or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, I, I would I would have lunch with Imogen Castriani. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, she knows where they have the, the best pasta. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Well, let's so, see. So, you guys, there is no possible way that we can detail all of these phrases. Um, we've given you some, but shall shall we just throw like a bunch of the ones that we couldn't do a deep dive on to be on for people? Let's do it. Okay, so here's just a list of other phrases that you guys probably either know really well or use all the time. We're just going to go down the list. Are you and, ready? And wait a minute. If we repeat ourselves, forgive us because, you Yeah, know. you got it. And, and P.S., we've left a bunch of stuff out, so feel free to write to us. Just be gentle. Yes, no, no, don't, don't say that we missed anything. Just write us with your favorite that we might not have included. And we will include it next time. Probably. <laughs> so here we go. Here are some things, <laughs> probably. Some more things we say today, which we owe to Shakespeare. How about set your teeth on edge? How about so-so? How about faint-hearted? How about heart of gold? How about wear your heart on your sleeve? Oh, we, we said that one. How about for goodness sake? We probably did. What's done is done. Be all, end all. Yeah, you can't. You know what? If you watch MSNBC for about half an hour, You'll hear that one. Um, out of the jaws of death. Dead as a doornail. Makes your hair stand on end. Off with his head. That contrary to popular belief, that did not come from the queen in Alice in Wonderland. No, it comes from Richard III. That's right. Uh, the world is my oyster. Breathed his last. A piece of work. 
A sorry sight. Catch a cold. Brevity is the soul of wit. Hot-blooded. Cold-blooded. To thine own self be true. Primrose path. Give the devil his due. What the dickens? Refuse to budge an inch. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a million of them. Housekeeping is a phrase, you know. Mm -hmm. so I, mean, it, I mean, you guys, seriously, I mean, we're talking about 422 brand new words. And listen, some of there are some really interesting ones that are he, he printed for the first time, probably didn't make up like alligator. That's right. That's right. And he was probably the didn't make up alligator, but it's the first time it was printed. I mean, it just goes on and on. Because he has a spotless reputation. Aha! Uh -huh. That comes from Shakespeare, too, in case you guys weren't getting. getting <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, you guys, that's all for this one. I think I think Owen and I are. Yeah, I think that's enough for now. Yeah, and, and we don't want to ill use each other so that we become hostile to each other. Oh, it, seriously, we could do this all day. It's all overblown. <laughs> they're going to get they're going to get the watchdogs on us. <laughs> oh, my God, I just knocked something off. OK, well, join us next time when yeah. we're going to do what are we doing next time, Lisa Ann? Uh, I I don't know. Oh, I think we're doing sports and games in Shakespeare. Yeah, that's right. We're doing sports and games in Shakespeare. So don't miss that one. That'll be really fun. And then, of course, we will have Botanical Shakespeare coming up because it's almost spring, you guys. Thank God. Thank God. We're very excited about that. So please visit our website at www.thebardcastudick.com. Um, there are links there if you would like to donate to us, which would be lovely because it's been a really hard year for artists. But You could subscribe on our website. Yes, you can subscribe uh, to uh, patreon.com. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have extra money, you can also throw some to uh, the Actors Fund or Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. That's right. Uh, so yes, www.thebardcastudick.com. Don't forget to, to visit us there. That's reviews. That line. Reviews. Tell them about reviews. Yes. it's it, You guys, if you want to support us, one of the best ways you can do that is to visit uh, Apple. That's a really good place and leave us a five-star review and an actual written review. Just a couple of sentences. You have no idea how much it helps. That's true. And you guys, we found out that we are currently the 362nd Global Arts Podcast. So we're moving up there. And that's all thanks to you that. guys. That's right. It is. And uh, for those of you that missed our Mackers or joined us, we are going to be doing a second live stream of As You Like It on Shakespeare's birthday. That's right. April 23rd and April 24th. That's right. So there will be information about that on our website and on all of our social media accounts. Is that it? I think that's it. And remember. And remember. No, no, I'll do the. <laughs> <laughs> and remember. It's, it's Shakespeare, Shakespeare, you dick. dick. Oh, my God. That's like our signatures that we fucked that up. Preceding podcast was a production of Country Matters LLC, copyright 2021, all rights reserved.